0: You guys can grab a seat. Woo, great to be with you guys tonight. As always, hope you guys have had a great start to your week. I appreciate you hanging out with us here at Engage. For the you who don't know me, my name is Jesse. I'm the college pastor here. I have the awesome job of hanging out with you guys each week and getting paid for it. So not a bad gig. So if you have your Bibles, we will be in Psalm chapter 13 tonight. So feel free to open them up, turn them on to Psalm chapter 13 as we continue in this series that we're calling No Hard Feelings, right? And so the reason we're calling it No Hard Feelings is because what we're talking about in this series is our worship. And so last week, if you weren't with us, a quick recap. We've talked about this idea that oftentimes when we worship, we separate our emotions from that, especially our hard feelings, right, especially the negative emotions that we have. We don't bring them into our worship. Instead, we suppress them. Or we just kind of let them consume us and we just kind of choose not to worship God, not to sing to him that um, night. And so what we've been talking about in this series or what we're going to start talking about tonight is this idea that we want to worship God through our hard feelings, right? Through our emotions. And so last week we talked about this idea that we don't want to try to worship God in spite of our emotions. Instead, we want to learn to worship God in light of our emotions. And we ended the night by talking about that as emotional beings, we worship emotionally. And so what we're going to do now is look at Psalm 13 and see how we can worship through discouragement. And so the Psalms were the set list of ancient Israel. That's how they sung their worship songs to God when they would come together like we do. And so we're going to look at Psalm 13 and see how we can worship God through our discouragement. But before we jump into that, I think it's important that we understand the difference between discouragement and disappointment. Because often we just kind of use these terms synonymously. We just kind of use them together. But they're different, and I think in order to understand really what we're talking about tonight, it's important that so we understand what, those, what that difference is. So here's kind of an idea of discouragement that we're working with tonight. It's the idea that discouragement is about you, not around you. Discouragement is about you, not around you. So here's an example. Let's say you go to Chick-fil-A, like all good Christians, and you're there, and you walk up to the counter, and you want some ice cream, and you say, hey, I really like some ice cream, they say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't give that to you, ice cream machine is broken, so you can't have ice cream right now. That would be disappointing. But if you walked up to the counter and asked for ice cream, and they said, oh, I'm sorry, our ice cream machine is working, but you don't need any ice cream, right, that would be discouraging, right? The first one's disappointing, right? The first one is around you. The ice cream machine is broken. The second one is about you. Whatever you have going on, according to them, isn't working, right? It's broken. And so that's kind of the difference between the two. And so really the idea of discouragement is something that's personal, right? Something that hits us at our core. It's as personal as, I don't know, dating a girl for just three days and then finding out that she wants to break up with you because she wants to date somebody else. So last week, we had such a fun time laughing at my past relationship misery, I figured we have another good time tonight and do it again, right? Because there's no better way to start off a message than making yourself look like an idiot. So we're just going to roll with it. We're going to keep the good times flowing. So uh, unlike last week, this time I was in eighth grade. So I was a little bit older, a little bit wiser, but apparently just as undateable. And so... <laughs> And so I had this huge crush on this girl that went to the same school as me. And that year, we had an art class together, and I didn't really learn anything in that art class because the entire class period, I would just stare at this girl. And I'm aware of how creepy that is now. Um, at the time, it seemed like a great idea, so I just went with it. Um, but I got discontent with just staring at her, and so I got to the point I wanted, I wanted, I wanted more. And so I decided to get her screen name which was basically like texting back then, and to send her a message over AIM. And so I finally get the nerve to to send this girl a message, and, and we start talking, and we actually hit it off. In fact, we hit it off so much that I realized it is now the time to take this relationship to the next level, right? It's time for us to kind of become boyfriend and girlfriend. So I decided that I was gonna ask this girl to be my girlfriend. And what better place to do this then where all good middle school relationships bloomed 15 years ago, the movie theater. Because anytime you want to have an important conversation with somebody, the best place to do it is at a place that you're not allowed to talk. And so we go to a movie and we sit in the back row because that's what cool middle school people do. And so the whole time I'm just, I'm a little bit nervous. right? I'm just trying to find the right time to pop this question. Right? Is it the previews? Is it the beginning? Is it halfway through? Right? You know, you're trying to get there. Well, somehow, some guys right next to us figured out I was going to do this and they start heckling me. Right? They start heckling me as if me asking this girl to be my girlfriend was some kind of like bad stand up routine. And so they're sitting there like heckling me about this. And so me and my 110 pounds decided to step up and tell them, hey, I got this, and, and silence them. And so I'm sitting there with this girl, and I say to her, I know those guys have ruined the mood, my words exactly, (laughs) but I really said that. (laughs) But I still wanted her to be my girl, and for some reason she said yes. And so the relationship seemed to be going well until the third day came around, and she decided to send me an instant message. (laughs) And this is what she said. She said, hey, I'm kind of in a difficult situation here because I just found out that another guy likes me and I kind of like him too. And so I'm just not too sure what to do right now. I mean, talk about the most passive aggressive breakup maneuver of all time, right? Some of y'all need to take notes on that. But it was, I mean, it was just straight up just trying to beat around it. Well, and again, I was undateable, but I wasn't dumb. So I was able to read between the lines and I realized that after just three days, this girl wanted absolutely nothing to do with me. And so this is what I said to her. I said, hey, let's just pretend like we didn't date. Let's, let's just forget about it. Let's just not pretend like we had any type of relationship, right? Because in my mind, it was better to pretend like I never dated this girl than to be in a relationship with her for the same amount of time that Jesus was in the grave, right? That was, that's what was going on with me. And so that's where, where I was at. <laughs> yeah, but you can imagine if you're in that situation, right, if you're, if you're where I was, how you would feel and all the discouraging emotions that would hit you, right? How you'd feel unwanted because just after three days, this person decided, hey, that's enough, right? I mean, how lonely you would feel because now you don't have somebody to call your bay, And even just the idea of feeling like that, you're just not good enough because when given the option between you and somebody else, they chose to go with somebody else. As so you can completely understand how in that moment, I just wanted to pretend like this whole thing didn't happen. But the reality was, I couldn't because it did happen. And the truth is, that girl didn't want to date me. And the truth is, she wanted to date somebody else. And the truth is, after three days, she decided to break up with me so that she could date somebody else. So you can understand how discouraging a situation like that would be because that definitely was not a round me. That was definitely about me, right? And I think what made that situation so hard is how true it is, right? In fact, I would argue that some of the most discouraging situations we ever find ourselves in are situations that we should feel discouraged because they're true. Because the most discouraging moments in our life are unavoidably true the most discouraging moments we find ourselves in are unavoidably true. And that's what makes them so personal and that's what makes them cut so deep. Because it's true that that person told you that they didn't want to date and that they just want to be friends. It's true that you lost that scholarship and now you have no idea how you're going to pay for your classes next semester. And it's true that your parents sat down and talked with you and they said, you know, we're not upset, we're just disappointed. I mean, all those things are true. And because they're true, they run so deep. And because they're true, they hurt so much. And that's why it's so important to talk about something like discouragement. Not only because it's true and we have every reason to feel discouraged in the moment, but also because of how much you can impact our worship of God. Because when something is real and something runs deep, then it's hard for us to sing to God and it's hard for us to praise him. Because what we do is we find ourselves in these dark places experiencing some pretty hard feelings. And tonight as we jump into our passage, that's where we find David. David is in a dark place experiencing some pretty hard feelings in his life. And based upon what David says, I think we have every reason to believe that David is going through a deep time of discouragement. Something that's very personal happened in David's life, something that's not around him, but instead something that's about him. Because in this moment, we see that David is crying out to God because God is not doing what he wants him to do in this situation. Instead, God has remained completely silent. And so David is getting to his breaking point as he, as he writes this worship song to God. So let's jump into Psalm 13, beginning with verse 1 together. David says, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy? Dominate me. I mean, David is expressing to God in this moment how he feels, doesn't he? I mean, he is being real and he is being raw with God. Four times in these two verses, David asks God how long. How long before he does something? And then he even accuses God of forgetting him and hiding from him. I mean, that is a pretty bold accusation to throw at God, isn't it? But David says this because this is how David feels. Because in this moment, David feels like God has abandoned him. That God has stepped out of the picture. And that God could really care less what's happening in David's life. That God could care less how lonely David feels as he finds himself in this dark place. That God could care less how much despair is in David's life. As these anxious thoughts are just piling up. And how God could care less. The agony that tortures David's mind every single day. I mean, David is expressing in this psalm how he feels about God. And if we're honest, when we're discouraged, we find ourselves feeling very similar, don't we? Right? We're frustrated on what's happening in our lives. And we're sick of God sitting there and not doing what we want him to do. And we find ourselves tired. Tired because we don't see anything getting any better anytime soon. And as David cries out to God, we see that as he continues to talk to him, he eventually demands that God does something. And we see this in verse 3 and verse 4. David says, consider me and answer me, Lord, my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him and my foes will rejoice because I'm shaken. And so as David is getting to his breaking point, he basically turns to God and says, all right, you got two options. Either you break your silence or I'm gonna die. Or right? either you do your job and you step up and you do something here or you continue to do what you've been doing, which is nothing. And because of that, I will sleep in death. Because of that, my enemies will rejoice because I am no longer there because I've fallen and I'm gone. So God, the ball's in your court. What are you going to do? I mean, David just cries out to God in this moment. And what we see happening in the first four verses of this psalm is that David isn't afraid to express to God how he feels he isn't afraid to come to God in the middle of his discouragement and tell him what's going on in his life. He's being real with God. He's being raw with God. And he's telling God exactly how he feels in this moment. And so what we see here is the first thing that we do if we want to worship God through our discouragement. And the first thing we do is what David does here is we embrace what's real about us. We embrace what's real about us. Because when we look throughout the psalm, that's what David's doing, right? He's telling God, he's frustrated. He's telling God that he's anxious. He's telling God that he feels abandoned right now. And so he's embracing these emotions. He's expressing how he feels to God. And that's what we have to do. That's the first step that we take in order to worship God through discouragement is we embrace what's real about us. And it's important that we stress this. It's important that I mention this. This idea of being real about how we feel with God, being honest about how we feel about God, because if we're real and we're honest, when we're discouraged right now, this isn't usually how we respond to God, is it? Unlike David, we don't allow our hard feelings to bleed over into hard words. Instead of what we usually do is we feel like we have to show God the Instagram version of us when our heart's breaking. Right, the polished version, the version of us that has everything together. The version of us that we're proud of, that we're okay if he sees and we're okay with others seeing. You see, what this, what this does, because of this mindset what we find ourselves doing is we don't have conversations with God the way that David does. Instead, when we talk to God, we have conversations like he's our grandmother. Because you could be having the worst day of your life. You could be driving to class, car breaks down, it's pouring outside, so you have to walk two miles in the pouring rain to get to school. And then when you get there and you're exhausted and you're soaking wet, you find out that a project that you've been working on for a month— you actually did it wrong, and it's worth half of your grade, and you realize now you're going to fail it. And so you walk out of that class feeling like an idiot, right, kicking yourself, and you're just hungry, you just want to get out of there, so you hop in your friend's car because yours is broken, and you go to Chick-fil-A because you're a good Christian, and you get there only to find out that it's closed because somehow, in some unexplainable, illogical way, it's Sunday, Right? <laughs> Right, Even in that moment, right, even in that moment where you are frustrated and you're anxious about all the stuff that's happening in your life. If your grandmother calls, you're flipping that switch, right? And you're like, hey, grandma, how are you doing? Man, so glad you called. How am I doing? I'm as good as a flea on a wild hog in mid-July. That's how I'm doing. Man, so great to talk to you. Oh, yeah, everything's going great in my life. And it's going great. It's just peachy. Can't complain about anything. Well, as you always say, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, right? (laughs) Amen. All right, Grandma, I'll talk to you later. All right, roll tide. (laughs) Bye-bye. Right? I mean, that's what we do. That's how we act. Why do we act like that? We act like that because we don't think Grandma wants to see the real us. We think Grandma wants to see Instagram us. The one who has their life all together. The one who isn't going through any problems. The one that has it right. So what do we do? We use borrowed language from other people. We use funny phrases that we would never say to our friends. And we tell her not how we feel, but we tell her how we think she wants us to feel. You see, we assume the same thing with God. We're not real with God. We're not raw with God often in our discouragement the way that David is. Instead, we talk to God the way we think God wants us to talk to him. We use phrases that we learned at church or that we read somewhere. They don't really describe how we feel, but they describe the way we think God wants us to feel. And so what we find ourselves doing is not being real with God, Instead, in the midst of our discouragement, we have counterfeit conversations with God. We have counterfeit conversations with him. where we're not really expressing how we actually feel, we're expressing how we want to feel, we hope he wants us to feel. And so we might say things like, God, your will be done, but we don't really mean it. We might say, Thank you, God, for being in control. But if we're honest, we don't really feel that. And we might even find ourselves saying, God, you were good all the time. But if we really look at how we are in that moment, we actually don't believe it. We have counterfeit conversation with God. We say phrases, we use terms because we think that's what he wants us to say It's because that's what we've been taught to say in church, Right? Oftentimes we, we've grown up in this idea that, that how we act in church, how we act towards God, has to be different than how we act in the world, and so we bring that over to our prayer life, we bring that over to our worshiping of God, and we think we have to be different so we think we can't be real with Him. And so we find ourselves talking to God the way we talk to our grandmother. We're polished, we're soft, and we're fake because we think that's what God wants to hear. But David absolutely destroys that misconception in this psalm, doesn't he? He destroys any idea that we have to be polished or that we have to be fake or that we have to be soft when we have a relationship with God or when we talk to him or pray to him or even worship him. Because David is anything but polished anything but fake, anything but soft, and said he is real, he is intense, and he is raw with God. He is raw about the emotions and the things that are going on in his head. His language is intense as he talks about the pain that is running through his life. And David is real, not only about how he feels in this situation, but how he feels about God in the midst of this situation. And that's what we're called to do too. And if we ever want to worship through our discouragement, we have to embrace what is real about us. And we have to express to God how we feel in that moment. But see, that's only half of it. We can't stop there because David doesn't end this psalm here. Because as he talks to God, he embraces what's real about him. But then when as David continues to write, he embraces something else as well. Something else that we also have to embrace if we want to worship God through our discouragement. And we see that in the final two verses of our passage. Because after David has expressed his real and hard feelings towards God, listen to what he says, starting with verse five. He says, but I would trust In your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I mean, it is absolutely amazing what David is doing here based upon what we just read in the first four verses, isn't it? Because David doesn't end this psalm by expressing his hard feeling of discouragement towards God. Instead, he takes time to embrace what is constant about God in an ever-changing world. This idea that he can trust in God's love that never fails even when he can't feel it. And now his heart can rejoice even when it's breaking because of God's salvation. And that even in the middle of his discouragement, he can sing to God because he knows that God has been good to him. This is the same guy who asked God how long before he responds. And he ends this psalm by talking about how good God has been to him. See, David shows us here, the second thing we have to do if if we want to worship through our discouragement is we can't just embrace what's real about us. We also have to embrace what is real about God. We have to embrace this idea that God loves, never fails. We have to embrace this idea that we can always rejoice about his salvation. And we have to embrace this reality that God has been good to us. And if we want to worship through our discouragement, we have to do both of these things. We have to embrace what's real about us and we have to embrace what's real about God. Because the problem comes when we only do one if right? we only embrace what David does at the beginning, what's real about us, how we feel, then at the end of it, we're just left living in despair. We find ourselves in this hopeless state where the world is crashing around us and we can't do anything about it. But if we skip that and we jump to the second part, last two verses, which is what we usually do when we're discouraged, then it just leaves us being fake. Right? It just leads us having these counterfeit conversations with God. And so if we want to worship through our discouragement, we have to embrace both of these realities. We have to embrace what is real about us and we have to embrace what's real about God. That his love doesn't end, as we talked about. About his salvation and how God has been good to us. And There's no clear picture of how God's been good to us than at the cross is there this reality where God did everything possible so that we could experience his love and his salvation and his goodness. What we have to remember though, that is so important as we talk about discouragement is understanding this reality that the cross does talk about how good God is. But in order for God to give us this good things that we need, the good things that we sing about, Jesus had to go through a pretty difficult time discouragement because when we look at the cross what we see so clearly is if anybody understands what discouragement feels like if anybody gets that it's personal and that it's real and that it's deep is Jesus I mean the whole reason he is going to the cross is because the Jews his people have decided he's not the messiah they want He's making these claims. He says he is, but he isn't who they want. They want somebody else. And so in the minds of the Jewish people, Jesus wasn't good enough. They wanted somebody better. They wanted somebody different. And so they asked Pilate to kill him. And whenever you get put to death, it's not around you. It's definitely about you. And then as all of this is happening, as all of this is going on, one of his closest friends, somebody who he loved, somebody who he had poured into, somebody who he had trusted with so many things all throughout their relationship, tells people three times he has no idea who that guy is. Can you imagine how unwanted Jesus must have felt as he was looking over there watching Peter say time and time again, I don't know who that guy is. And even though Jesus knew he was gonna do that, I believe that the pain was still real when he did. And then as he's hanging on a cross and he's crying out to God and he's showing his real and his raw emotions to God as he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in that moment? He's experiencing a loneliness because he had a real separation from the father that he had never experienced in his entire eternal life. And Jesus does this because we can sit in this room and we can say what the psalm says and what David says, that I will sing to God because he's been good to me. And that's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of our God. So we should never, ever be afraid to come to God in the middle of our discouragement. We should never feel like we're awkward when we talk to God about what's going on in our life and we're real with him because if anybody understands discouragement, it's him. And so we can embrace what is real about us and then we can look to the cross and we can embrace what's real about God. That's how we worship through our discouragement. That's how we come to God. And if we're honest and we really think about it, that's really the only way to worship, isn't it? Is to be real with God in every situation of our lives, especially when we're discouraged. Because what we know is that real worship requires real people. So don't feel like that you have to push your discouragement away when you're walking through it. Don't feel like you have to suffer in silence as the weight of something that is personal and true is digging deep into your life. Instead, in that moment, embrace what is real about you. Embrace the loneliness. Express to God the frustration. Tell him how you feel, even if it means you feel like he's not there. And as you do that, and embrace the fact of who God is. That his love doesn't end. That his salvation is always something to rejoice about. And that he's the guy that's been good to you. So this is how we're going to wrap up our time together tonight. My challenge for all of us in the room is to be real when you worship God. So what we're going to do is as we step into this next set list, right? As we step into these last three songs that we sing every week, where we're gonna begin that time is where David ends this song. We're gonna talk about how good God has been to us. Now, some of you guys, you're ready to do that now. And we could start singing the song and you'd be ready to sing to God because you've embraced what's real about you. You can sing to him and you can praise him. But there's some people in this room, you're not ready yet. You're not ready to sing that song. You might know that God is good all the time, but you're not ready to embrace that yet because you haven't embraced what's real about you. You've been having counterfeit conversations with God, or maybe you haven't had conversations with him at all. So you need to take some time to have a real conversation with God, expressing how you really feel about the deep pain and discouragement that is flooding your life. And then once you do that, then you'll be ready to embrace the fact that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And so this is what I want us to do tonight. As we start singing this song, I want all of us to just stay seated. I want you to have a conversation with God. I want you to be real with him. I want you to tell them what's happening in your life right here, right now. And then when you're ready, stand and sing. When you're ready, stand up and sing about how good God is. But let's do that now. Let me pray for us before we do that. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this amazing reality, God, that you are a God who was always good to us. And so even though we might not feel that and even though in times in our life it is difficult for us to believe that, Father, once we embrace what is true about us, what is real about us, that opens the door for us to embrace what's real about you. So tonight, God, that's what I want us to do. I don't want us to have counterfeit conversations with you where we're just using language that we think you want to hear, God. Instead, we want to have real conversations with you where we express who we are and how we feel. And then we embrace the reality, God, that you are a God who loves and pursues us and did everything possible at the cross so we could always sing and always say, God's been good to me. So God, as we sing this song, may we just take some time to reflect on this, to think about this. And then when we're ready, may we stand and sing with David, about how good you are. And so I just ask this in Jesus' name, amen.